This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, we're going to start by going to visit the Green Hornet. Now, to be totally frank about it, I don't often program this series, mainly because I can't stand the buzzing that goes on far too long and far too often, in my estimation. So, why am I airing this? Well, to be honest, I think that part of my job is to present fairly a representation of what radio sounded like back in the 40s and 50s. And certainly, the Green Hornet did make its mark with audiences. The radio show used Nikolai Rimsky-Korsakov's Flight of the Bumblebee as its theme music, blended with a hornet buzz created on a theremin. The Green Hornet was one of radio's best-known and most distinctive juvenile adventure shows. The series detailed the adventures of Britt Reed, debonair a newspaper publisher by day and crime-fighting masked hero at night. So where'd the idea come from? Well, in 1935, George W. Trendle, co-owner of WXYZ in Detroit, who had spearheaded the development of the Lone Ranger, sought to bring on air similar series with writer Fran Stryker and director James Jewell. Trendle sought to create a series that would show that a political system could be riddled with corruption and that one man could successfully combat this white-collar lawlessness. And he would be accompanied by his similarly masked chauffeur, bodyguard, enforcer, who is also Reed's valet, Kato, initially described as Japanese and by 1939 as Filipino of Japanese descent. Uh, and of course, following the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor on December 7th of 1941, references to a Japanese heritage were dropped. Tonight, we hear the episode that was first aired in 1945, Hornet Drops a Hint. The Green Hornet. hunts the biggest of all game, public enemies who try to destroy our America. his faithful valet Cato, Britt Reed, daring young publisher, matches wits with racketeers and saboteurs, risking his life that criminals and racketeers will feel the weight of the law by the sting of the green hornet. Ride with Britt Reed in the thrilling adventure, Hornet drops a hint. The green hornet strikes again. Thank <laughs> you. 
Smoothie Lawrence was everything his name implied. Smooth of speech, suave of manner, and smarter than most of his kind, men who flaunted the law and lived by their wits. But on one occasion, Smoothie had been outsmarted by another man, and the law had closed in. That was two years ago, and for two long years he had paid his debt to society. Now, he was free again. It was dusk as Smoothie Lawrence entered a Water Street cafe and walked over to the bar. His mind was filled with hatred for the man who had taken two years out of his life. And his face was grim as he stopped at the bar and gave his order. Give me a double ride, Joe. Yeah. Well, hiya, Smoothie. Double ride, coming right up. There you are, Smoothie. Thanks. You got things lined up for yourself? Before I start lining anything up, I get something off my mind. Yeah? I've been noticing you got something bothering you. That's right, I have. A dame, maybe? No, not a dame, Joe. I'm trying to figure out a way to get back at the double-crosser who caused me to be sent up. Yeah, I remember. The uh, paper said you was put on the spot by the Green Hornet. Yeah, that's right. Well, now you know. Holy smoke, Smoothie. You better steer clear of that guy. Forget it, Joe. I know what I want to do, and I'll find a way. See you later. So long. So long, Smoothie. And good luck. Yeah. That's gotten to the point where I can't even keep my mouth shut. Uh, just a minute, please. I'd like a bird with you. Who are you? What do you want? I was at the bar in the cafe... I overheard your conversation with the bartender. Really? Maybe you'll tell me just what business it is of yours. Take it easy, my friend. What I have to say will be important to you. It remains to be seen. This is some gag, or if you're trying to... Now, wait, let me explain. My name is Max Zinder. I know you're Smoothie Lawrence. You get around, don't you, champ? Of course. It's part of my business. What's your business? Does it matter? Listen, Zinder, if you now, wait a minute. Suppose I tell you I can show you how to make a large sum of money and at the same time get back at the Green Hornet. Would you be interested? Uh, maybe get to the point. If you're interested, we'll go to my place and I'll give you the details. What do I got to lose? Go along with you. Well, let me tip you off to this. If you're pulling my leg, pal, you'll be plenty sorry. Let's go. A short time later, in an apartment on the west side, Smoothie Lawrence listened intently as Max Zinder outlined his plan. Now, let me repeat what I've told you. The attaché will leave that consulate at 8 o'clock tomorrow night on the way to the airport. You say the consulate car will be driven by one of your men? Uh -huh. That's right. Of course, at the consulate, he's known as a trusted employee. And I'm to follow in a car which you'll provide, huh? Yes. The driver of the attaché's car will pretend he's got motor trouble somewhere along the river road. He'll get out to work on it. That's when I'm to take over. That it? Exactly. Get the papers the attaché will be carrying and bring them here to me. Of course, it'll be necessary to, uh, 
eliminate him. Now, hold on. Why can't I grab the papers and leave? Now, what's the Jesus. idea that... to tell about the so-called cardholder and the actions of the driver. It might lead to complications, my friend. After all, I didn't know I was... Now, remember, you'll be paid $10,000 cash for the job smoothie. And the Hornet will be blamed. You haven't told me just how suspicion is to be directed to the Green Hornets in there. Look, here in my wallet, I have something that'll do the trick. See this? Ah, Hornet seal. Is it really one of his own, or did you... It's genuine. It was left as a warning with one of our workers in the past. He was later caught because of the Hornet. Uh, you have it in for him, too, huh? The Green Hornet is a continual threat to our organization. Why don't you pull this job yourself? In my position, I can't afford chances. You can, for a price. I'll be at a reception at the consulate tomorrow night. I'll stay there until the news of the attaché's misfortune is made known. So you'll be in the clear. Okay, I'll go through with it. And leave that seal for the police to find. Ah, good. I knew we'd come to an understanding. Tomorrow night, I'll get those papers. You'll get the money. And your revenge on the Green Hornet in the bargain. What is wrong, driver? I don't know, sir. There's something wrong with the Well, let's do something. I'll miss my plane if we're delayed. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, I'll have to stop. Hurry, we haven't much time. Oh, here comes another car. It looks as if he's stopping. Uh, good evening. It's nice of you to stop, senor. We seem to be having trouble. In... Your troubles are just about over, Pat. Wait, I don't understand. <laughs> A short time later, Britt Reed, young publisher of the Daily Sentinel, was in the city room when the phone rang. City editor's desk. Gunnigan speaking. Gunnigan, this is Mike Hackford. Hackford, where has Tundra Review been? What's the idea of staying out all afternoon without calling in? I'm at Cops Headquarters and I have a story. Yeah? I thought so. That's your usual hangout. Now you listen to me, Hackford. I got a story, Gunnigan. A school. Let me get a word in edgeways, will you? Why didn't you say so? What is it? A murder. It happened on River Road. An attaché was shot by the Green Hornet. What? Hold on, I'll connect you with Rewrite. You can give the details. I ain't got I... any details yet. I'll call Rewrite later. So long. Why haven't you? What's the idea of... Hello? Hello? Oh, he hung up. That guy will drive me to the nuthouse. Somebody get to the composing room, quick. Tell him to set up a lead for an extra. Attaché murdered by Green Hornet. Hurry up. Right. Is that what Axford told you? That's right, Chief. Says the attaché was shot to death out on the river road by the Hornet. I see. Well, let me know the details as soon as you get them. I'll be in my office. Right. Hi, Reed. I just came from Cops headquarters. I phoned in the details on that murder a while ago. Yes, I know. I understand a Hornet seal was found on the body. Sure. It was stuck right on the guy's forehead. What about the chauffeur? He says the Green Hornet blocked the road with his car, so he had to stop. Then the spalpeen pulled open the rear door of the consulate car, 
and shot the attaché in cold blood. The cops didn't hold the driver. Strange the driver was unharmed. Oh, the harlot would have shot him, too. Only the driver says he hopped out quick as a wink and lit out for the bushes with bullets whizzing alongside his head. Then another car came along and the harlot beat it. Where's the chauffeur now, do you know? After he told his story, they let him go back to the consulate. Tis a clear case against the green harlot to my way of thinking. Have the police figured out why the murder was committed? Indeed. It's off the record for now. But the harlot stole some important papers dealing with some matters in a South American country. Oh, I see. Well, keep on the case, Axford, and let me know of any new developments. Okay, Reed. Sure, and I'm thinking that Green Hornet's going to be sorry he pulled this job. Later, Britt Reed went to his apartment where Cato, his faithful Filipino valet and the only person knowing his identity as the Green Hornet, was waiting. Cato? Because of that Hornet seal which was found on the murdered attaché, the authorities are hunting down the Hornet as the killer. It's not good. While they search for Hornet, real murderer have chance to get away. In my opinion, aspiring is at work. Those papers are very important. And in the wrong hands can cause great trouble. That's also not good. Something has to be done and done quickly. You think of something, perhaps? If the driver of the consulate car is telling the truth, the killers have covered up well. But if he isn't... You think Green Hornet try to find out? Yes. The chauffeur for the consulate probably lives over the garage. We'll go there and see if there's a chance of breaking down his story. You go as Green Hornet in Black Beauty? Right. Come on. Stepping through a secret panel in the rear of a closet in his bedroom, Red Reed and Cato went along a narrow passageway built within the walls of the apartment itself. This passage led to an adjoining building which fronted on a dark side street. Though supposedly abandoned, this building served as the hiding place for the sleek, super-powered Black Beauty, streamlined car of the Green Hornet. <coughs> Britt Reed pressed a button. The great car roared into life. A section of the wall in front raised automatically, then closed as the gleaming Black Beauty sped into the darkness. shadows, Brett and Cato skirted the back of the garage and cautiously drew near the entrance to the stairway that led to the rooms above. They found the lower door unlocked and went up slowly and quietly until they reached a landing at the top of the staircase. This is it, Cato. I'll try the door. That's strange. This door is unlocked, too. Well, here goes. Don't make him move up! What's wrong? Great Scott. This is the consulate chauffeur, all right. But he's been shot through the head. He's dead. Where do we leave now? Something happening outside. Get to the window, quick. It's the police. Some coming here, others go toward a place in the back where we hide the Black Beauty. I'll lock the door. What do we do now? We've got to think fast. They're coming up and we'll be caught like rats in a trap. 
And if they get possession of the Black Beauty, our goose will be cooked. But good. While several policemen started through the door leading to the stairway, two of the men rounded the back of the garage and one of them noticed the dim outline of the black beauty a short distance away. Hey, look. Car back there. Come on, it might be the haunted car. Listen, that's a car starting up inside the garage. Well, I'll beep. Left that other car as a plant while they get away in one of the council cars. Let's get together and get around front to stop them. Hey, Sarge. They're going to come out through the garage doors of the car. Get ready to shoot them down. Shoot the lock off and let's bust in. That did it. Come on, open the doors and jump back. Nobody's in the car. Keep your guns, Sandy. Must be hiding inside. We'll get him this time. Come on. Hop in, kiddo. I'll drive. Look at a four-foot scheme, Mr. Brick. Yes. Did you break open plenty of those gas pellets inside the garage before we came out through the back window? Police find garage full of gas. They not follow us for some time. Ah, good. Guess the killer tipped them off about another murder. That's why they came. We better get away from here now. Smoothie, I was worried about you. Nothing to worry about, Zinder. In fact, luck is really playing our way tonight. How do you mean? Well, I attended to that job getting rid of the consulate driver. I sat my parked car down the block. Because of the reception, there were a great many cars parked along the street. I thought I'd wait until I saw you leave. She would have finished that job at eight. I left the reception after nine. I saw you leave. I was about to follow when a commotion started near the garage. They found the body? Yeah. You right? Oh, thanks. Light? Thank you. What happened then? This is the luck I was talking about. Seems after I left, the Green Hornet went into the driver's rooms and was almost cornered by the police. <laughs> Naturally, they blame him for what they found there. The body of that driver... Well, if you hear any more news about the hunt for the hornet, let me know. <laughs> I imagine he's a very puzzled man right now. Huh, Smoothie? <laughs> you said it. You're not so smart. I'm going out a while. See you later. So long, Cindy. Meanwhile, Britt Reed and Cato returned to their apartment where they discussed the new development in the chain of circumstances which were closing about the Green Hornet. Great shock to know chauffeur also dead. Killer's smart enough not to leave a clue behind. Maybe he's not so smart, Cato. What do you mean? I picked up this paper match cover in the chauffeur's rooms. Hmm? It's a uh, Water Street Cafe on the cover. Yes. That's an underworld hangout. But that's not a very good clue. 
Many people get book of matches. Even driver, perhaps. That's true. But this belonged either to the killer or his victim. If the killer dropped it, there may be a way to trap him. How do you do that? Cato, when we first came into the apartment, I went into the lab for a few moments, remember? Yes, sir. I found out there's a clear fingerprint on this match cover. Oh, you send the match cover to police, perhaps? No, Cato. If I send it anonymously, it wouldn't mean anything. I can't send it as Britt Reed and tell them where it was found. They'd be smart enough to connect me with the Hornet. Yes, that's true. You have other plan? Yes, I have. If the fingerprint proves to be the chauffeur's, the plan won't work. But if it's the killer's... You, you carry out the plan tonight? Why not? The reception at the consulate is over by now. And since the Hornet's scare, the police will have a guard there. You go to consulate and risk guard? Cato, my whole plan rests on pawn reliable people being able to swear they saw the Green Hornet inside the consulate. I'll take that risk. Let's go. Arriving in an alley behind the consulate, Britt Reed and Cato left the Black Beauty and moved into the shadows near the house. After some time, Cato spoke. We watch library window long time now. Yes, but we can... Look, the consul's getting up from his desk. He's leaving the room. Yes. There, he put out the lights. You go in in a few minutes? Yes. You stay outside the window in the shadows and keep the way clear for my escape. If anyone come here, I see him not interfere. Good. The police are on the front porch talking. They don't expect the hunter to be returned here tonight. So guards haven't been posted in the rear. Don't expect the honor to return here tonight, so one of you boys can go to headquarters with me. The other, you, Cassidy, can hang around out here. Okay, sir. I guess the council's a little nervous anyway. Sure, but you can't blame him with a guy being killed and all. Officer, officer. What's up? Come quickly. There's a prowler in the library. Holy smoke. How do you know? I heard a noise in there. Sounds like someone at the safe. Cassidy, you go down to the library window in case he tries to get out that way. Okay, sir. You come along with me. Right. This way, officer. This is the door of the library. I'll sneak the door open a little and take a look. See anybody? Glory be. Someone's trying to get into the safe. Using matches for a light. The light switch is just inside the door to the right. Okay. When I give the word, they'll bust in. Switch on the light and catch him cold. I'm ready, Sarge. Here goes, then. No. What the? Charge! It's a green hornet. Use your gun, quick. Fall cover. He's making for the long window. I'll get him. Hold on. Casualty's outside. I'll go out the French window and see if he needs help. Oh. Hey, Sarge. Here's Cassidy, lying on the porch. What happened to him? I don't know. He's coming through now. Well, what happened, fella? Uh, I was sneaking up onto the porch to look in the window when someone whammed me from behind. Ah. Uh. Uh, come on, we'll see if he got into the safe. He didn't get the safe open. Good, Ed. Yeah. He dropped a book of paper matches. I'll take it along. What good will that do? You never can tell. It might have a fingerprint on it. Though that hornet's been too smart to leave prints before. Yeah, but he didn't mean to drop that. That's yeah. right. I'll take it to headquarters and see what they can find. Let's hope it does show a print. Come on. Langford, 
Expert, we got it. Got what, Sarge? The name of the Green Hornet. That's what. Suffering Snake, Sarge. Who was it? A smart crook by the name of Smoothie Lawrence. We found a fingerprint and it matches Lawrence. I can't believe it. Hey, you men. Get Smoothie Lawrence. Any of the boys called in yet, Cassidy? Well, they're still hunting, Sarge. We just gotta find Smoothie Lawrence. Hey, Sarge, I hear you picked up Smoothie Lawrence. Yeah, that's right. They've been grilling him for the past hour. Does he admit he's the Green Hornet? Not yet. But give us time and we'll make him talk. Come on, we'll see what's doing in there now. In here, Axford. I tell you, I don't know what you're talking about. I never did it. All right, Sarge, take over. This guy's stubborn. Listen, you. We got the goods on you. What do you mean? What's all this about? We saw the hornet inside the consulate. He got away from us. But he dropped something. It had your fingerprint on it, which proves you're the green hornet. No. No, I'm not the hornet. And being the green hornet, you're due to hang. Wait. Wait, I'll talk. Go on, then. The guy you want is named Cinder. He thought up the Hornet gang. It was he who used the Hornet disguise and killed that attaché. Believe me, I'm not the Hornet. I Where's tell you, that I... guy, Cinder? He lives at River Road and 10th, the brick house on the corner. Honest, he's the guy. He wanted me to help him, but I, I wouldn't do mud. it. Sure. Come on, Axford. We'll get some of the boys and pick up that Cinder guy. If this mug Lawrence is the Hornet, we'll soon find out. Let's go. <laughs> Any desk. Dunnigan, hold everything for a big story. We've been holding everything for the last hour and a half, Axman. What about that guy they picked up? Is he the Hornet or is he? What do you... you? The cops have just picked up another guy by the name of Cinder. And what do you think? Listen to me. I ain't waiting to okay, get... Okay, okay. Well, listen. When they got there, Cinder had a briefcase with the stolen papers in it. He was getting ready to clear out. They've just brought him here to headquarters to pay a smooth alarm. But what the... I'll call you back right away so as to get the whole story. Stand by for a scoop. Hey, wait. Oh, that Axford. Hey, someone get to the composing room. Have him get ready for a big lead. The killers have been found and maybe the Green Harbor. Later that night, Mike Axford entered the apartment he shared with Britt Reed and Cato. Yeah, still up, I see. Yes. I wasn't very sleepy tonight, Axford. Thought I'd read a bit. Have a cup of coffee, perhaps? Coffee? Sure, thanks, Cato. Oh. <sighs> Reed, with all the excitement now, you sit there reading some love story, no doubt. No, a detective story. Ah, detective story, he says. Reed... There's more goes on right around your own office than you'd ever find in one of them make-believe detective books. Oh, really? Now, don't tell me you don't know all that's happened tonight. Well, there's been some confusing reports over the radio about the police finding the Hornet. Police do a very good job catching Green Hornet. If man they catch is Hornet... Ah, stop pipe-dreaming, Cato. Take the Hornet at all, they caught. They're sure of that now. Oh, too bad. Now, in this book I'm reading, there's a mysterious character... Sovereign who... Snakes, you two are to be stuffed and stuck in a museum somewhere, says I. Why do you say that? Yes, Axford, what's eating you? Well, I'll tell you. While you and Cato moon around in this apartment, one of the biggest stories of the month was breaking tonight. What? The cops got the killer of both the attaché and that driver. Not to mention finding the papers that were stolen. Say, that is news. That ain't all. They caught a, be- they caught a big underground spy. 
and he had a little book with the names of all his helpers in it. Nazi underground agents. Imagine that, will you? Axford, that's wonderful news. What about the Green Hornet? Oh, what? it was him who double-crossed the other two. A spy leader named Zinder and a killer named Smoothie Lawrence. <laughs> they were so busy accusing each other, they alibied the Hornet on their murders. <laughs> then the Hornet not kill at the shade? No, it was one of them guys poisoned as the Hornet. Gosh, the Hornet was mixed up with him. But he put the finger on Lawrence with the fingerprints. <laughs> you get it? He left Smoothie's fingerprints. We get it. And the cup- well, the Hornet provided the Sentinel with another scoop, didn't he? <sighs> Reed, sometimes I wonder what you do without the Green Hornet to make the news for you and without me to tell you about it. Axford, without the Green Hornet, and of course you, life would be very dull. No, ain't that something? <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned for Suspense next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Suspense. And the episode first aired in 1942, Will You Make a Bet with Death? and the prowling step, the stir of nerves at the ticking of the clock, the rescue that might be too late, the crime that is almost committed, mystery and intrigue and dangerous adventures. We invite you to enjoy stories that keep you in suspense. Can a man stake his life against $25,000? Can another and cleverer man track him down like a hunter, stalking his prey and kill him within five hours? Can you make a bet with death and win? For suspense, tonight we present Will You Make a Bet with Death by John Dixon Carr. with bathing suits. There's the boardwalk, all straw hats and summer dressing. There's the Ferris wheel and the roller coasters. There is all humanity eating hot dogs and having a good time. And over there, beyond that souvenir shop, is the haunted mill. Get into a little boat. You float through a narrow tunnel into the dark while witches scream. But that fools nobody. Does it? There couldn't be any real terror. Could there? While the bands are playing and the crowd goes by and... A unique attraction. It hurts me to see you standing there and miss this. Only ten cents, 
me? One ticket, please. Did you say one ticket, lady? That's right. One ticket. What's the thrill? A big pardon, lady. I said, what's the thrill? Lady, the gals who come here with their boyfriends don't have to ask that. Henson, please sit playing and mind the gate. Thank you. Step right up, ladies and gentlemen. Get your ticket for the old haunted needle. Where ghosts will walk and call to... Give me some tickets. Hurry. Just a minute, young fella. I know you want to get into the old haunted needle. But there's plenty of time. How many tickets? I don't know. <laughs> you better give me ten. Ten tickets. You hear that, ladies and gentlemen? Here's a young fella who likes the old haunted mill so much, he buys ten tickets. Don't call everybody's attention. Listen, I've got a better idea. Whatever boat comes after mine, yeah. I'll give you an extra dollar to send that boat through empty. Now, what's the matter, son? Are the cops I ain't after you, are No, 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 no. It's nothing like that. Will you do it? Well, let me talk, young fella. Okay, go ahead. Isn't there an empty boat here? Well, really? You've got such a great objection to riding in the same boat with me? Oh, I... I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean that at all. Don't misunderstand. Then you better get in if you want to go. This boat's starting to move. <laughs> yeah, I, I... I better sit down. You certainly had. Look here, I, I... I want to apologize. That's quite unnecessary. This place is rather childish anyway, isn't it? Yes. Isn't it? But I've seen everything else, so I may as well see this. Here we go in the dark. What was that? Uh, one of the ghosts, I imagine. From a machine. It sounded like him laughing. There isn't anybody in the boat behind us, is there? I can't see. It's pitch dark. Listen, Miss... Uh, uh, Miss... My name is Andrews. Betty Andrews. If it's customary to exchange names in a place like this. Mine's Pendrel. Bob Pendrel. Did you say Pendrel? Yes. Do you know it? Oh, no, no. Not exactly. It's an unusual name, that's all. I... I don't want you to think I'm out of my mind, though I very nearly am. But I've got five hours to go. Just five hours. At the end of that time, either I'll have won $25,000 or, or else... Or else? Or else I'll be dead. <laughs> you know, I wish I'd kept you away from this boat. Well, there's nothing to get alarmed about. For you. I can't tell you much, but I had to tell somebody that or I'd have started yelling. There's just one other thing. Is there... In these places, they've usually got little dim-lighted rooms along the way. Yes, exhibits and things. Yes. Well, when we come to one, I'm going to get out of this boat and hide there. Just don't get alarmed, and don't tell anybody when you go out. Why should you do that? I think I see a light ahead. There is a light, but... Jim, too. That's all but the good. It's... Yes. We're coming around the corner. Look, I'm going to have company when I get off. A waxed dead man on a pile of straw. <laughs> Oh, I hope I can stand these noises. Goodbye, Betty Andrews. I wish we'd met at a different time. Mind the boat! Here, what are you doing? Getting out, too? Don't be an idiot. What's the idea? You need looking after, Mr. Pendrel. And if we must hide, I suppose this is as good a place as any. I won't have it. Quick, quick. There'll be more boats along. Look behind that dead man on the straw. He'll hide us. Hurry. Now, Mr. Pendrel, in the queerest place I ever get into, please tell me what this is all about. I can't tell you. You said it yourself. If you don't tell somebody, you go crazy. Maybe you're right. It's against the strict terms of the bet. But this is the last day. And I tell you, I can't hold out any longer. Oh, your voice, oh, your voice. It's about time. I wonder... I wonder if you ever heard of my stepfather, John Destry. Yes. I imagine everybody has. He's a millionaire and... And I'm not. I'm just a chemist, an analytical chemist. 
not very successful. So if I'd had time, if I'd had money, I might have worked out a process that would have, well, I think it would have helped in the war. But he's got money. Yes, he's got money. Well, my mother died years ago. This, this Nestor's a, a big, white-haired, fine-looking fellow. You'd think butter wouldn't melt in his mouth. He's got an apartment in the East 60s, secretary, I never met her, valet, cook, that kind of thing. Well, he used to invite me there. I wouldn't go. Then he got hold of a book I had to have, a German work on chemicals. So I went. After dinner in that study of his, over the brandy... My dear Robert, you're quite welcome to the book. Don't mention it. Oh, uh, what do you think of this brandy, by the way? <laughs> it's excellent, thanks. Yes, yes, I thought you'd like it. And now that we're all relaxed, comfortable after dinner, tell me something. Yes, Mr. Destry. You hate me, don't you? <laughs> Frankly, I do. Always have. Good, good. <laughs> then you'll be relieved to hear I've always felt the same about you. <laughs> But tell me something else. Did you ever know me to break my word? No, I never did. I'll give you that. I asked you, Robert, because uh, I want to make a little bet with you. That is, uh, if you have the nerve, which I doubt. <laughs> I'm afraid I can't afford to make bets. Uh, you were always careless with money, Robert. <laughs> well, I've been thrifty. I saw that when your mother was alive. But you can afford to make this bet. Look here. In my desk. Well? $25,000, Robert. $25,000 in five $100 bills. And what would I have to bet against that? Your life. What? My life? There's the money in the drawer. Look at it. What wouldn't you give for that money? What wouldn't you give to have it for this precious work of yours that you're so fond of <laughs> and that you've failed in... Miserably. So far I've failed, yes. Well, I've had a fairly good life as lives go. My heart isn't as good as it might be, but doctors say I'll, I'll last a little while yet. But before I go, there's one pleasure, one little exquisite thrill for me to experience. I want to commit a murder. Yes, I said a murder. My bet is that I can kill you within six months and that you can't stop me. And that I'll never be punished for it. What do you say? Yes or no? I believe you mean that. Of course I mean it. And just how would you propose to kill me? Ah, that would be telling. You know, if I had time to think this thing over... There's no thinking it over. Now, yes or no? Yes. <laughs> you must need the money badly, Robert. I do need it. But oddly enough, Mr. Destry, that isn't why I'm doing this. No? No. I want to show you you can't play the Lord Almighty and get away with it. Are you challenging me? Yes. You don't think I can do it? I know you can't. I, uh, <laughs> we, we mustn't get excited, Robert. Uh, there will be conditions to the bet, you understand? What conditions? First of all, you'll never mention this matter to anyone. All right. 
That seems fair enough. You'll remain within the city limits of New York for six months. You'll spend at least one hour of every day walking the open streets alone. All right. You'll spend at least one hour every evening in your own room alone. I may come to see you or uh, <laughs> I may not. Mm. Trying to scare me already, are you? Finally, you'll write out a little note and give it to me. There's pen and paper on the desk in front of you. Write it now. Let's hear what I have to write before I do anything like that. You will write, I am a failure. You can't stop harping on that, can you? I am a failure. And this was the only way out. I wouldn't have done it otherwise. A suicide note? Yes. I intend to use it when I, uh, <laughs> operate. And if I won't write it? Ooh. Then there's no bet. All right, I'll do it. Hmm. It's now, uh, let's see, nine o'clock on the night of January the 10th. If you're alive and not in a madhouse. Does that go into the bargain, too? Yes. At nine o'clock on the night of June 10th, given those conditions, you will receive $25,000. Can't you hear the dice rattle, Robert? <laughs> you're playing with death, now. I know it. Uh, aren't you going to finish your brandy? No, thank you. Oh, then uh, pour it back into the decanter. You heard me. Pour it back into the decanter. If you were as careful as I am, you, uh, you wouldn't be where you are now. That's right. Always be thrifty. I can promise you, by the way, that you'll always be perfectly safe as long as you're in this apartment. But that's the only concession I make. Oh, I notice your hands are steady at the moment. I wonder what they'll be like a month from now. <laughs> so you were fool enough to make a bet with John Destry. Listen, Betty. I want to tell you what else happened the same night. I got on a Fifth Avenue bus and started to look through that book that Destry gave me. It was a book that I wanted about poisons. Well, just as I opened it, I felt something sharp prick my fingers. I looked down, and my hands were covered with blood. He had sewn safety razor blades in a line down the inside edge of the cover. Oh, no! A little white card fell out of the book, and I read it. It said, See how easy it is to take you off guard? Those razor blades aren't poisoned. But they might have been. Take warning. Betty, that was six months ago. Six months less five hours of careful, refined torture. And now, I've got only five hours to go. What's he done in the meantime? Nothing. Nothing? I don't understand. Nothing at all. That's the cleverness of it. He's left me waiting, waiting, waiting. Expecting something. Expecting it every hour of the day or night. Once at the laboratory where I work... I opened a box that I thought was from a chemical supply house. And a Mexican tarantula, one of those furry spiders about as big as your fist, oh, no. ran out across my head. Oh. It was a toy tarantula. He enclosed a card, asking whether I didn't admire it. But this can't go on. I used to think I didn't have a nerve in my body. I could hold a test tube at arm's length absolutely steady for minutes at a time. 
Now look at me. Don't, please, don't. But the waiting's almost over now. Walking the streets, wondering who's behind you. Sitting alone at night, listening for every step on the stair. He's got very little time left now, but he's got to do something. The question is, what's he going to do? Well, maybe he doesn't mean it. Maybe, maybe he's only doing it to scare you. Lose all that money? Oh, you don't know my stepfather. Listen. I, I don't hear anything. That's just it. There's no sound of running water. The boats have stopped. Then we're all by ourselves in here. All with him. Yes. Oh, Lord, how I wish I hadn't gotten you into this. Oh, I'm all right. Uh, or at least I think I am. I thought I saw him in the crowd outside, but I couldn't be sure. I, I'm seeing him everywhere. Now, Bob, just a minute. Just tell me one more thing. Did you ever see Mr. Destry? I mean, face to face... After that first night? Many times. He came to see you? He came to my laboratory once, yes, but mostly I went to see him. And why? Because it was the only place in the world I could feel safe. He's promised that nothing should happen to you while you were in his apartment. Don't you see? It was part of the torture. Night after night he'd invite me. And I'd go. Right up until last night. Last night. We were in that study of his. With the devil masks on the walls. He was sitting behind the big mahogany desk. My dear Robert, I'm pleased and uh, even touched to have you here on the last night before you... uh, Before you... Why don't you say die and get it over with? Oh, well, let's not say die. No, the clergy contend that we never die. We only change, don't we? Now, let that be a consolation for you. Uh, Must you be going so early? There's that one-hour-at-home rule to our bet, if you remember. I remember. (laughs) You're keeping to the rule. Yes, and I mean to beat you at this if it's the last thing I ever do. The last thing I ever do. (laughs) That's an unfortunate choice of phrase, Robert. (laughs) My boy, you haven't a chance. Something's going to happen to you within the next 24 hours when you least expect it. Will you answer me one question? If I choose. Have you decided how you mean to kill me? I decided that six months ago. And you still think you can get away with it? It's a method which has never been known to fail. I give you my word of honor on that. Is it? Is it sudden? Yes, uh, and no. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know what it is? Good night, Mr. Destry. I, I think I'd better be leaving. No, no, my dear boy, you mustn't go yet. Sit down. Pour yourself a glass of brandy. No, thanks. Uh, then perhaps you wouldn't mind pouring me a little. Uh, my doctor allows brandy, though I'm forbidden spirits. <laughs> mm. I uh, I notice your hands are shaking quite a good deal. They weren't like that six months ago, were they? No. You were full of confidence then. Oh. <laughs> and it grieves me to see you waste tobacco by lighting a cigarette and putting it out immediately. Well, it's no use lying to you. But I'm going to beat you just the same. Wouldn't like to back out now? After what I've been through? You'd still have your life. I'll keep it, thanks. Mm, That's very unwise of you, Robert. Still, 
You must decide. Oh, I was expecting my secretary a little later to dictate some letters. But now, um, I think I'll leave her a message that I've gone to bed and uh, turn in myself. Tomorrow is likely to prove an interesting day for both of us. Here's your hat, here's your briefcase, and let me wish you a fun, peaceful, and happy good night. <laughs> to go. It's less than four hours now. If I can keep away from the old devil until nine o'clock. I wish those boats would start running again. Why? Because it's almost as spooky in here as a real old mill. I know. Even that whack dummy on the straw. Any minute now. You're I... expecting to see him move? So am I. Now don't stand up. It doesn't matter. If the boats aren't running, we can hear anybody who comes along. I hope so. Do you think Destry's got in? Bobby can't have got in. He can't even be here. Why not? Because Mr. Destry told me. Mr. Destry told you? I'm his secretary. <laughs> you know, Betty Andrews, I'm sorry it was you who did this. Did what? You can't guess, can you? Oh, Bob, I didn't come here to trap you or spy on you. If that's what you're thinking, I swear I didn't. No. You only got me to tell you the whole story and lose my bet. I haven't heard a single word you said. Bob, please believe me. He didn't send you here, of course. No, no. And of course you never saw me at his apartment last no, night. No, I swear I didn't. I got there late. He'd gone to bed. I didn't even take off my hat or gloves before I left again. Don't you understand, Bob? I hate him, too. I want to see you beat him. You've got to beat him. You mean that? Look at me and see if I mean it. Betty, I almost believe you. You must believe me. No, I miss it. Anything else? You better hide behind that dead man in a hurry. Those boats have started up again. I wish I could tell you, Betty, what that means to me. Come on, come on, hurry. Wait a minute, you two. But stay just where you are. Where's that voice coming from? Along the tunnel, I think. But it's not Destry's voice. No, it's a man standing up in a boat. He's coming around the corner. I can see him now. Hurry. The old haunted mill, eh? My golly, if this ain't some place to make a pinch, I never heard of one. What do you mean? Make a pinch? That's what I said. Your name, Robert Penrill? Yes. Who are you and what do you want? Police headquarters. Yeah, you ought to come along with me. I want to see you over in New York. About what? I wouldn't know, lady. But it might be about the murder of John Destry. Oh, no! Did you say the murder of John Destry? That's right. Somebody poisoned him last night with mercury cyanide. I wouldn't have got you at all, maybe, if the barker outside there hadn't thought the cops were after you to start with. Betty... Yes, Bob? He's beaten me. He hasn't beaten you. Oh, yes, he has. And I know now the weapon Destry was going to use in killing me. What weapon? It never fails. The electric chair. You mustn't talk like that. Don't you see? He never once intended to kill me in the way I thought. Are you coming quietly, Mr. Pendle? Just a minute. He's poisoned himself. But he's left evidence to show I did it. He's killing me the worst way possible. He's won the bet. The money doesn't matter now. If I'm in the death house for murder, what use have I got for all the money in the world? (laughs) 
introduce myself. My name's Mullen, Inspector Mullen. It's a pleasure to meet you, Inspector. It's a pleasure to be safe again. I've had you brought here to my office for a little quiet talk. You're in a jam, son. I want you to realize how bad it is. You think I don't realize it? John Destry was poisoned with mercury cyanide administered in a glass of brandy. And only my fingerprints were on the glass besides his own. I can guess. Mr. Destry's body was found this morning lying behind the desk in the study. There was an empty glass with traces of brandy and cyanide. We haven't had the full autopsy report, but the smell of that stuff is pretty distinctive. Tell me uh, you're a chemist, Mr. Penderell. That's right. The boys find that eight grains of mercury cyanide are missing from your laboratory. Where he visited me a month ago. And in your briefcase, which you took away from his apartment last night... He handed it to me. I remember. We found over a thousand dollars in cash. Now, take a look at this note. Ever see it before? Look. Yes. I wrote it. You admit that? Yes, yes, yes. It says, I was a failure and this was the only way out. I wouldn't have done it otherwise. Where did you find it? Torn up in little bits. You started to write a confession, and then you couldn't face the consequences. But you shouldn't have left the pieces behind. You're intimate, my boy. Unless... Unless what? Now, if you'd like to confess here and now, and maybe we did a little deal about second-degree murder... Oh, Inspector, why bother to string me along? What do you mean, string you along? There's no second-degree murder on a poison charge. It's the death house and nothing. He saw to that. Too bad you had to go and kill him, son. Didn't you know he had an aneurysm? What? Fatal heart disease. He said that he had heart trouble, but... Heart trouble. His doctor says he couldn't have lived eight or ten months anyway. And you might have got something in the will. So that's why he did it. Did what? Killed himself. You still stick to that crazy story you told the boy? He's going to kill me, isn't he? With 3,000 volts of electricity. Inspector Mullen. What are you doing here, Sergeant? Didn't I say I wasn't to be disturbed? All the same, Inspector. I thought I'd better do it. There's a young lady here, a Miss Betty Andrews. I think you'd better see her. I'll see her when I'm good and ready. And I think you'd better see her, Inspector. We've just heard from Mr. Destry's lawyer. Well? He said that that young fellow there, Mr. Pendrell, inherits 25,000 bucks in Mr. Destry's new will. Did you hear that, son? Do you see what you'd have gotten if you hadn't gone and killed him? He was keeping his promise, that's all. A fine lot of good it'll do me now. But look, Inspector, I've just talked to the medical examiner, and he says there's no poison in Mr. Destry's body. Say that again? There's no poison in the old man's body. Somebody's kidding you. An empty glass with the smell of mercury cyanide and a dead man with a congested face behind the mask? What did kill him, then? Well, you'd like to listen to Miss Andrews, Inspector. She's right here now. I think you'd better listen, Inspector. I've been trying to tell you all afternoon. Go ahead, Miss Andrews. I've been over and over it. Until I got the medical report, nobody would listen. Can you tell us what killed John Destry? Yes. Poison killed him. But the sergeant's just been saying there was no poison in the body. Inspector, will you listen? I was at Mr. Destry's apartment late last night. Well, so what? Uh, You didn't kill him, did you? The servant said he'd gone to bed. So I looked into the study to see if there were any instructions. Was Mr. Destry dead then? I don't know. I couldn't see his body because it was hidden behind the desk. I didn't even learn he was dead until late this afternoon. But I did see a full glass of brandy. Uh, A full glass, did you say? Yes. So I picked up the glass and poured the brandy back into the decanter. That's what he always made us do. And I didn't leave any fingerprints because I was still wearing my gloves. And 
That was the same glass you later found empty. But you still are not telling us what was the poison that killed John Destry. It was the poison in his own system. He worked out this plot to convict Bob Pendrell. Only just as he stretched out his hand to drink the cyanide... Inspector, I think I see it. It was his last great hour. He couldn't resist such gloating as he'd never known before. That's it. His heart wouldn't stand it. And he fell dead behind the desk. And I think, if you study the expression on his face... You'll find he died laughing. And so ends Will You Make a Bet with Death? Tonight's story of Suspense. The part of Bob Pendrell was played by Michael Fitzmorris. Betty was played by Leslie Woods. John Destry was played by Nicholas Joy. And in supporting roles were Ted DeCorsia and Charles Slattery. Again next Tuesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Wartime. A story dedicated to the thrill of the nighttime. The hushed voice. The prowling step. Another adventure in... Suspense. William Spear, the producer. Mark Sloeb, the director in the absence of John Deeks. And John Dixon Carr, the author... Our collaborators on... Suspense. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Philip Marlowe, followed by Phil Harris and Alice Faye. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.